I'm Bianca Vivian, and this is Ask Viv. Welcome to episode 26. Let me just jump right into it, because in the 10 days since I left you, the world has been turned completely inside out, upside down, and any perspective, pipe dream that we had of pressing play after the world had been paused and going back to where we were and what we were doing has now been completely eviscerated, if not just indefinitely suspended. We are never going back to the world that you knew five weeks ago. And in the last episode, I said that it was healthy to have certain forms of escapism as long as they were mitigated because when this was over, you were going to have to deal with your escapist mentality. But that time has also passed and now is not the time to escape and any form of escape that you would choose would only further emphasize how critical it is to face the day. It's time to take responsibility for yourselves. And I think the reason why I say this with so much urgency and it cannot be understated is because what we're witnessing now is a sinking ship in which nobody wants to take responsibility for the state of the world as it exists. Everybody wants the government to save them. They want their friends. You want your lovers. You want to hold close and cling in desperation to any sense of stability or comfort that you have. But if you choose to do that in a moment such as this, you're going to find that the world is going to leave you behind. There are moments in history and there are moments in our individual lives that are extremely critical when you have to adapt and you have to do it rapidly. Great Depression, World War II, civil rights movement, etc., etc. It's when the, the world from decade to decade looks completely different. And anybody who does not have a mentality of change or anybody who is so self-important or so fixated on an immovable, rigid sense of identity is going to fall very, very hard at a time such as this. Anybody who is harping on the past or cannot let go of what they had in mind is going to fall very hard at this moment. Part of the reason we see the government failing to such an embarrassing and frustrating extent, the American government, mind you, is because they have failed to adapt on any level institutionally. Ideologically, they cannot adapt. Economically, they cannot adapt. And you're seeing the crisis that has come from that inability to adapt. And it breeds finger pointing and most of all, lack of progress. So as the world's economies reopen and people that have built an infrastructure for planning, a flexibility are able to move quickly to save lives, to change, to progress, to innovate. And that's from systems in Austria to systems across Africa. People who are getting with the future, getting with the times, quickly moving on, failing and recovering extremely fast, borrowing what they need to borrow, forgiving and forgetting social conflicts to come together, recreating a sense of identity, protecting the youth, protecting the old, like people that have a sense of communalism and togetherness, people that have a mindset of change are flourishing where countries, individuals are sinking very quickly who cannot let go 
of what they thought this year or this decade was going to be. That's the crossroads that we're at right now. I see individual people stuck at these same crossroads and I'm having to address it with such a sense of pointedness because I don't want to see people so caught up in what they lost or what they're lacking that they fail to see the opportunity that comes in being able to re-envision life and face the things that are. Or Perhaps I should say it this way. There's a mindset of fear where I could say, I don't know what the world is going to look like in seven months. Or there is a mindset that I could say, I know what the world is going to look like in seven months and then work to create that world. Those are two critically different mindsets and you see who in the world is taking one of those mindsets and who in the world is taking the other. I don't know what I'm gonna do versus I know what I'm going to do. The world for the last 10 years has been such a sham because everybody has been a disruptor. Everyone has been an innovator. Everyone has been a genius and an intellect always coming up what they think is the next big thing. But it was all done in the confines of a broken system, mass systemic inequality pretty much on every level. And that sense of innovation was almost always vanity or self-interested. The crossroads that we are at right now in the world is going to, for lack of a better term, separate the boys from the men. We are going to see who truly had a unique vision for art, for culture, for society, for science. And we are going to see who was just hiding behind the curve, trying not to get noticed that they were really not as brilliant or unique or as special as they claimed to be, period. We are about to see people's value systems. We are about to see who really cares about their fellow man in the age of the internet activists. We are going to see who's really going to bet their bottom dollar on the vision that they had for the future. That's the crossroads that we're at. We are going to see who truly felt entitled to the position that they had in society and who is going to fight to the death to keep it or to gain a new one. This is not really the time to rest on your loins and wish that things could be different or turn away from the imminent changes that are forthcoming. This is when the future occurs and this is when you decide who you really are and who you're really going to be. And this is a perfect time, as scary as it is, to completely sever yourself from the past. Or if you, like so many of us, had been experiencing stagnation and complacency for the last five years, for you to pivot into the industry or the vision or whatever that you had always really wanted. It's not the time to trust that the government is going to save you because they're not. It's not the time to look at what your friends are doing and where your friends are moving and where your friends are putting their money because this time you're going to have to go for yourself. You're gonna have to go for yourself. The irony of this episode is that at this crossroads, you have to decide which way to go next. And you have to do it with a graciousness and a courage and a resolve and a strength 
that perhaps many of you have never had to exhibit. And maybe it's my voice that you're hearing right now. And of course, I hope it provides a bit of relief, a piece of peace to mitigate circumstances, or maybe just some smooth jazz background noise for whatever you're doing on Monday morning. But this time it's not my voice that's going to get you through. It's yours. It's not my discipline or my resolve or my plans that are going to empower you to place one foot in front of the other. It's going to be your own. And some of you, it's been so long since you've turned to that voice, if ever. Some of you are so young, you've never had to. Some of you have been in a routine for such a long time of relinquishing your will to the next man, your romantic partner, your boss, your landlord, that you've never had to say, I can, I must, I shall, completely independent. And it can be the scariest thing standing at that crossroad because of all the choices in front of you, of all the things that you can be. The only thing that you cannot be now is who you were before. And the only place you cannot go is backwards and that is a hard fight so many people i know are frustrated and afraid of being at that crossroads because there's nothing nothing harder in life than having dominion over yourself and to quote the great tony morrison to be given dominion over another is a hard thing to rest dominion over another is a wrong thing but to give dominion of yourself to another is a wicked thing and we're standing at a crossroads where we have to take responsibility for ourselves and we have to take dominion over our own destinies come hell or high water and we cannot look to anybody else to do that now let's get into these questions because i know that's your favorite part dear viv i am currently a high school senior and due to the climate we are in right now everything has been canceled and graduation has been postponed this has taken a toll on my anxiety and i lack motivation and can't focus on anything I'm honestly just taking it one day at a time right now. Any tips on how to be more motivated during these times? I would never minimize the sense of loss with something being canceled like a graduation because I remember that electricity that was in the air springtime summer of high school. The springtime of high school before graduation. I remember barely even being able to focus or sit still in class as it was just for the sheer anticipation. And I can't even imagine what it's like to have that anticipation be replaced with the anxiety and the fear of missing out of something that just seems so critical at time. But I will tell you something about another time in my life growing up. I was 13 years old and I grew up in East Atlanta, Georgia east of Atlanta, Stone Mountain. And I lived in this sprawling suburban house on a lake and I was a cheerleading captain. I was popular. I had a boyfriend who was the head of the basketball team. I was a star straight A student. And I was so looking forward to going to the high school because my older sister, where you're apart, was already at the high school. She was the manager of the basketball team. She knew all the basketball players and I had already decided which ones I was going to pursue for my respective boyfriends for 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. I was ready for homecoming and prom, and 
it was so exciting to me, the prospect of being in high school in Atlanta, because it is just like the movie. I mean, if you uh, have ever seen ATL, that is exactly how we grow up. And it is as exciting and entertaining as it looks. And that was my prospect for what my life was going to be at that time. The summer before ninth grade, my mother tells me that she's thinking of us moving to California. And me, I'm so excited. I'm like, let's go. Not only because I had just gone in a fight with my best friend over a boy, but because I thought I'll take this little trip, tell everybody I'm moving. Everybody will be super emotional and have to tell me how they feel about me. And then I'll just come back and be able to do my whole high school thing. Or I'll go and California will be such a dream. It'll be like living in LA with these sprawling hills and a convertible and a big old house that They'll be so jealous of watching my life that I'll have the life I was going to have times 10 somewhere else, at which point I could make everybody who was around me who I cared so much about what they thought jealous. Those were my visions of my future at 13 years old. That summer, we pack up and move to Oakland, each of us one suitcase and a scrapbook that I had that I made of my friends from middle school. And when we land, we stay at my mother's friend's boyfriend's house, which was a studio apartment with two futon couches, a low level mattress, a DVD player with an ancient television, no cable, no internet, no microwave, in an extremely dark apartment that was situated in front of a wall with a half-size bathroom. We went from a sprawling five-bedroom house on the lake to this studio apartment in the hood across from a bodega, which I didn't even know what that was at the time. Went from getting picked up from school on the corner in front of my house, which I used to be late for the bus all the time, which seemed so hard to just get up and stand on the corner and wait for the bus, to having to take two city buses, one after the other across town, with all types of vagrants and crackheads and predatory men to get to school on time across town just to go to school in the hood because the school that was down the street from my house was so bad with prison bars on the windows. It was built to look like a prison with a regular number of homicides and maybe a 7%, 7 to 10% graduation rate. I remember so vividly, and she probably would not even remember this story. It was mid-August, which in California, you go back to school late August, early September. In Georgia, you go back to school early August. So this was around August 8th. Telling my mother, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to wrap it up. Because I remember my best friend, Essie, called me and she said, where are you? We have homeroom together. And I approached my mom with just the stupidest look on my face. And I said, when are we going home? And my mom says, this is home. And just in that moment, I couldn't have even grasped it. That my future and what I had in mind and what I thought I deserved and my expectations for my life so perfectly planned out in my 13 year old head were thrown out the window in one moment. And I was left with this extremely bleak reality that seemed so insurmountable, so unmalleable, so out of my control. And I have always been a control freak. All I was left to deal with, all I had were the memories of what were and the necessity of facing exactly what was. And I felt so ill-equipped to handle it. And my motivations of popularity and young romance and 
that Southern dream that I had built up in my mind were no longer motivations at all. They were fantasy and they couldn't hold me over. I could not escape to them because I was being eclipsed by the reality that I had no friends, that we had absolutely no money, that I didn't even have a room to myself anymore that I had taken for granted. And I was just going to have to stand here and adapt very quickly because not only was I faced with this new reality, but this new reality was so daunting and demanding because growing up in the suburbs is nothing like growing up in the hood. I mean, I remember I took for granted the fact that I could go to school and get lunch. My new high school was so massive with such a small cafeteria that they could not afford to feed all the kids at the high school. So we had open campus lunch. We had to eat off campus. My mother gave us $3 a day to eat. And you can already imagine what kind of eating habits I developed out of that because I would get pizza, and in Arizona every day that cost exactly three or four dollars and my sister she would get one bottle of juice and just drink it and we were known for that it was so hard and I was faced with the reality of all of that at 13 years old and my expectations had shattered all at once Two months later, I would turn 14. Two months after that, I would walk into a radio station that would change the trajectory of my life forever. And three months after that, I would record my first commentary. For NPR, I am Bianca Brooks with a perspective. And life would begin to take shape in a form that I had never imagined. And my motivation would instead become get the best possible education I could get and make my way out of the hood and never, ever, 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 ever look back. That was my motivation and standing here now in retrospect all these years later, that's exactly what I did. And that person that people put on a pedestal and they look at and they say, I wanna be that girl, they were talking about the person that I became in that moment. That person whose willpower became so sheer, the hustle that I began to develop that innate instinct, that dream, that drive was forged out of a place of such severe discomfort, shock, and frankly trauma, and I would not be myself without her. And when I tell the story of my life now, I always begin at that moment because it's the moment that I became myself. When a boat is sinking, the first thing that you have to do to try to save the boat is to throw off everything on the boat except for the people so that it can become light, so that it can move with the wind, so that it can float to shore. And the second thing that you do to the boat is make sure that no water gets inside. When you drown, it's not from the actual weight of the water, it's because water gets into your lungs and it makes it difficult to breathe. Right now, you're going to have to throw away all of the expectations that you had and you're going to have to float yourself. And you're going to throw away more than you think you're going to have to throw away because oftentimes it's voices, it's friends, it's plans, it's comfort, it's luxuries, it's pleasures. And you're going to have to be standing there with yourself. And I bet, I can just bet right now that in 10 years, this is going to be the moment that you can say that's when I found out what it meant to grow up. 
you're going to tell your kids that's when I became an adult. And for some of us, it happens at 14. And for some of us, it happens at 45. But there's always going to be a moment where you have to figure out what you're made of. You can get what you want or you can just get old. Other people remember these moments either as the moment that defined them and they gathered strength that they didn't know they have or the first moment that they can pinpoint their bitterness. There are people who get left at the altar and they can take that as the moment that defined what they understood about love and it opened up a door for new wisdom or the moment that they became bitter. And that's the choice. You don't get to choose what kind of shock and trauma come into your life. You don't get to choose the kinds of suffering, but the choice is in the perspective that you choose to develop and employ in that moment. And that is what makes people great. And that's what makes people bitter. And more often than not, people internalize these moments as the moment where they could not go on. And instead of having a story of strength and a testimony of resilience, they have a bunch of baggage. And there's nothing special about baggage. You're growing up maybe four weeks sooner than you expected, and it wasn't with a red carpet being rolled out and with all the pomp and circumstance that you do deserve. But what are you gonna do about it? And you know what? Let me go ahead and preach. This is Ask Viv and I'm Viv, so I'm in charge. So I'm just gonna go ahead and tell y'all something. And I didn't, I didn't know if I was really gonna take it there, but I think I'm gonna take it there. Americans and black Americans specifically are some of the only people in the world that have to be incentivized to get an education. I remember as a kid, I always brought home straight A's. I mean, I was a ridiculously good student my entire life. And I remember my friend's parents giving them $100 for each A or taking them to Forever 21 if they got A's or taking them out to eat. My mom couldn't afford to do any of that and mostly for my sisters and I, I'll never forget, I have this photo of me and my sister smiling so big the day of third or fourth grade honor roll ceremony. She took us to Wendy's and we're standing in the Wendy's line about to get like a baked potato. And we were just so, so happy, so excited. But I didn't get incentivized to get an education. I didn't have parents who finished college. They were doing the best that they could with what they had. And I had to incentivize myself to get an education because my incentive was getting a way out of my economic circumstances and becoming the person I had imagined myself to be. There's no place on earth that does the pomp and circumstance of graduation the way that Americans do it. The prom, the graduation, the graduation gift, the car. Most places in the world, it's the education, the dignity that education brings, and over time, the privileges incurred by those who have an education. And I think that this is a great time to prioritize because I am sitting here and I can tell you right now, the difference at a moment like this, when the world is falling apart, the safety net of people who have educations, most of the people I know who are working from home, sitting in their rather large apartments, just waiting for the storm to blow over with a certain amount of job security or skills that are not completely dispensable to their jobs are people that have educations. Whereas those who have chosen outlets that are more volatile have had to pack up and immediately move back home 
or are really freaking out because the extent of their network and their social safety net and even their level of skills that are required in an economy such as the one that is forming right now are ill-equipped because they don't have education. And even those of us like myself who had chosen creative outlets, who make our money off of taking stages and performing and gathering crowds, I am adaptable and can make my living in a bunch of different ways because of the extensive network, skill set, and qualifications that I have that were allotted to me by my education. I have a plan B and C and D and E because I have a BA. And I really did not want to preach to y'all today. I didn't come to preach, but we might as well have church. Get an education. That is the motivation for education is education itself. The motivation for education is education itself. When it all came down to it in my college graduation, my commencement that day, I had imagined it my whole life. I got my little class ring. I had my outfit picked out. It poured raining. I mean, it poured. Like I had never, I still to this day don't think I've seen it rain that hard in New York. It poured raining to the point where it almost blew the tents over. There was a baby hurricane the day I commenced and the family that even decided to come out, they left the commencement. They left because it was raining so hard. My parents did not even see me turn the tassel from one side to the other and throw my cap up. And do you know what I did after commencement? I didn't go to the Red Lobster. I didn't go to the Cheesecake Factory. I didn't even go to my boyfriend's house. I went home to my studio where I had still owed back rent $3,000 on 126th and Linux. I took a nap. I shed a tear, I pat myself on the back and I said, you did that. Because there's gonna come moments in your life where it's just you standing at a crossroads and you're gonna have to decide what to be proud of. And there's not always going to be a crowd. And there was gonna be times in my life where there were full packed theaters, full auditoriums of people patting me on the back many times in my life after that or I was going to receive more than enough encouragement and accolades, and I was going to have more than enough strangers to clap for me, but there are the moments that were most important to me are those when I so needed someone to clap for me, I so needed someone to tell me this was important, this was vital, I am proud of you. And it was only the still voice inside of me that said it to myself, and looking back now, that was enough. If I had to draw out the important moments of my life, I would not put my college graduation in there. (laughs) I definitely would not put prom. I'd probably put in the day that my mother dropped me off to college and all I had was a suitcase. I didn't even have a blanket to put on the bed. I borrowed a sheet from a friend and my godfather bought me a quilt. I'd probably say the time I got caught in the bus and the rain and ended up at that radio station and pleaded for a job even though I didn't have a work permit because I was underage. I'd probably go to the times that I got my heart broken and I didn't think I was gonna survive, the times where jobs fell through that I thought was gonna be my big break and change everything, or maybe just the time that I was sitting on a bed in the middle of a December night thinking I got something to say, maybe I'll start a podcast. And it was those moments 
that were self-defining and you're gonna have to choose your moments too. And they're not ever going to be the ones that you think that they were, but they're gonna be vital and important and you're going to be great even without the things that you expected to have. Dear Viv, I often find myself thinking about actions and behaviors from my past that do not reflect the person I am now. Are you able to relate positively to past iterations of yourself? And if so, how so? My friends know this about me, that I am not a sentimental or nostalgic person. I take what I can from the past and I absolutely leave the rest almost to a fault. I mean, people that know me, they think it's a colder aspect of my personality. My sister loves sending me pictures of our childhood. And I think that I've always had a particular aversion to romanticizing the past because I remember the full scope of everything. And I don't have the ability with the kind of mind that I have to put a rose-colored tent over times and think about how much good there was knowing the presence of how much bad there was. And I think more than ever now, the reason why a lot of people get frustrated with me, and it's so funny quarantine because quarantine has brought out so many people from my past who have used this moment where they are obviously contemplating or coming to terms with the decisions they've made and the people that are important and they come to me with these really big pronouncements of guilt and a lot of I wish that had gone differently and I sort of just shrug and say okay well hope you're well thanks for calling and I think that people want me to romanticize the past or they want me to exhibit some kind of regret but my mind and even more so over the last two years has become so hyper focused on my vision for the future as much as that vision has to adapt and change daily that I'm almost never concerned with the past ever and I was telling my best friend my little sister the other day she was telling me about how a very close friend's grandma had died from coronavirus and she instead of just simply expressing a mourning or a sense of grief she begins to say this was not how things were supposed to be i was supposed to make a bunch of money by now and bring it back to my family and get her out of the hood and everybody would have been better and i tell her let it go let that vision that you had for your life go because people create a vision for the future that is so informed by who they were in the past that not only is it not a real vision for the future but it's completely unimaginative let me give you an example when i was growing up i always told myself my whole life that i was going to get really rich really really quickly after college and I was going to get my mom and my family out the hood and take care of my sisters and pay off everybody's student loan debt and everybody was going to be free and then like many people I was going to buy my childhood home back that my mother lost to foreclosure as a gift and it was going to be as if nothing ever happened and a lot of people have that and in hip-hop and a lot of black pop culture motifs it's that idea of 
buying your old house back, correcting for the pain of the past and mitigating it in order to bring some justice to life, especially for the women in our life. When I was 21, my mother got married again. She married a man that she had known since high school. She fell in love again. They moved into his home, which was paid off. She was extremely comfortable. He built her a backyard jacuzzi. He loves her. She was so happy about getting married again. And me, I was devastated. I mean, literally in the presence of my mother being at one of the happiest moments of her life, I myself was angry because I had had this vision that I was going to save my mother and that I was going to be the one who swooped in and changed everybody's life. And that had been for so long my motivation in life that I didn't even know what I was going to do life for if I couldn't have that narrative and that big justice moment, that regaining power over the power I had lost and the things my family had lost until I realized that now that my mother was financially stable and taken care of, was not lonely, had somebody else who was thinking about her health and her mind and her body and buying her the things that she wanted and giving her the things that she needed, that I could focus on a vision for myself and my future that was completely independent of the past. And I could focus on a vision for my family with a bigger house a better house somewhere else outside of our old neighborhood because that past and that future were both so gone. And I think that at times like this, when we're standing at this crossroads where the the vision of the world, it's so uncertain. People think it's never gonna be the way that it was. But was it good? Was it? People want to go back to six weeks ago. People are thinking now, look at the inequality of the healthcare system. Look at the obvious racist capitalistic institutions that are falling apart. Let them fall apart. The thing about holding on to iterations of ourself in the world that romanticize the past is that they ignore the possibility for newness. Everybody wants to reiterate or innovate on things that are already happening when what the world could use is something new. So many times in my life where everything fell apart in my life, it was because I needed to be somebody new. I had a relationship with a man who you could not have told me at 20 I was not going to marry him. Nobody could have told me that. I had all but picked out the houses and the baby names and that relationship wholesale fell apart. Funny enough in quarantine I have found out that my high school ex is married with a child. My college ex is getting married and yet I remain here, solitude in myself. And do I miss it? No, I don't. Do I miss who I was with them? I don't. I have, I've gotten to the point where so many of the memories in my life, other people in my life have to conjure them up and remember them because I'm not interested in holding on in my mind to the things that don't work because I am a limited person with limited capacities and I can choose to hold on to everything that didn't go right. I can choose to hold on to everything that did go right. But either way, with either one of those options, whether I am completely sentimental and nostalgic or I am completely bitter and traumatized, both of those things keep me stuck in the past. Both of them. I want to do something in a new world. I want to be a new me. I don't want to look at myself 
at 65 and be looking at photos of me at 20 thinking that's the best you ever looked. The only regrets I ever have at any moment in my life is that I was not more present. I look at myself in the past and I think I wish I would have been more present. I wish I would have given myself more credit for where I was at. And so that's what I just do now. I take it one day at a time. I look at myself, I say, you're doing great, keep going. And then I look forward to the future. I face the day and I face ahead. I take it forward. And if I feel myself sliding back, I stop myself. I stop myself. I'm not tripping over the house I lost because I'm gonna need to keep it together for the house I'm gonna get. I'm not losing my mind over the job I had or the gig I had that got canceled because I'm gonna need my mind for the one that's coming. I need myself fully present facing forward to do what I have to do anywhere but backwards. I can do anything except for what I used to do. I can be anyone except for who I was. I can go anywhere but backwards. Dear Viv, the pain I feel is very specific. I know I want to be and do great things, but the people around me and above me that I've been taught to look to don't seem to be trying or are liars, gossips, hypocrites, etc. Many have shown me nothing but ill will, but pretend to be good people in public. These are important people, quote unquote, who all know each other, and I felt that to be successful, they must all approve of me. It's hard to ignore them and still work on my own stuff. Can I do this alone? Not only can you do it alone, but you should do it alone, should have been doing it alone. I've had bosses who have harbored an extreme amount of ill will towards me. And I mean, these are people who are, you know, nobody Joe Schmo editors to ridiculously famous people, whatever. And then I've had people above me, quote unquote, who were extremely supportive and wanted me to win and opened up every single door that they could and there was nothing too big to ask of them. Neither are responsible for my success, neither. One thing that I always tell people when they ask me about being a so-called successful or highly functioning person, the idea of gatekeeping is a complete myth and it needs to be eradicated from popular consciousness immediately. The Disney Channel idea that there is somebody that holds the key to your future in their hands is exactly that. Do people provide opportunity? Sure. Do people provision income? Definitely. Do people have the ability to make or break your life? No, it's just not true. A lot of times when people think of success, they think of the Naomi Campbell story, especially creative people. And I wish that artists would just kill this idea. They think of the young girl in the shopping mall who's on summer vacation at the beach being discovered by a talent agent who tells you you're the next big thing, flies you to New York, puts your Polaroids in a casting call, you get casted for Versace or Tom Ford, you walk the runway and life is changed forever. All of these really inspiring stories of people who go from nobody to somebody in a day with the help of that one crucial person are not only so ridiculous and so simple, but are so dangerous to the popular psyche of people who think that you have to put up with the ill will and disrespect of people around you to gain popularity because somebody is going to hold the key to your future. Right now, the entire world 
is falling apart. And if you don't believe that you are the person with the key to your future, then I guarantee whoever you think has it at this moment would either be withholding it or they would be losing that key somewhere under the mattress. It's gonna have to be you. You're going to have to go for yourself. I think that part of the state of culture right now and its poverty of production, the unimaginative things that are being produced, is because so many creative industries are being gatekept by networks of people who are using their influence to wheel and deal, to give visibility to certain people or artists. And I think that that time, just checked my watch, is just about up. I think that in this new state of culture that is about to form without all of the money and influence and networking that has been going on for the last 10, 20 years, you're going to just have to have sheer talent and a lot of will. When Instagram came along, when social media came along, SoundCloud were built. You had people who were able to climb their way to the top of industries based on visibility and popularity. But as somebody who is in the epicenter of both those industries and the city that created them, it was a myth. It's fallen apart overnight. If I could tell you all the amount of creatives, quote unquote, the amount of artists who have run for the hills, those people that you all love, I mean, really, those people that you all exalt and like and retweet are having a really, really hard time right now. So much of their success was built on a sham of a network of people who were not really so supportive as much as they were self-interested. And now that you have an, an every man for himself moment, those people are not backing those people anymore. I'm so glad that I did not buy into it or when I first got here, I didn't have the look or the know-how or that I didn't buy into it. When you build an organic following, when you build things that are built off of talent and will and quality of ideas, then you build something that will last. That's it. You're gonna have to do it alone. And the thing about character, about assessing these people as liars and gossips and backstabbers and everything else, it just shows that you're too deep in it. I've gotten to the point where I've worked with so many different kinds of people of varying levels of influence and fame, and I see their character, and because I know that it has absolutely no influence over my life's trajectory or where I'm going, whether they open or close the door or not, I just tend to feel bad for them. I know so many people who have treated me unkindly or have treated me like somebody invisible. And those people really just tend to be miserable. I think that I've gotten to the point where even if I gain a ridiculous amount of influence and power, I don't think I would ever want anyone to feel like it was me who gave them their future. I don't. I think that the issue right now that you're seeing, you're seeing doctors who cannot heal people. You're seeing influencers who cannot influence people. You're seeing people who thought that they wielded the hand of God over others, completely unable to change the state of things right now. And I think it's because it was always a myth and it's one that's rightly dispelled. Go for yourself, do right by the people around you, do right by the people under you. Be thankful to the people who give you opportunities. Be gracious to the people who don't. 
and know that you are responsible for your life's trajectory and that if you fail, you will not be able to use those people as an excuse for why you did. And if you succeed, you will not be able to point to a sole person that you said it was you. It was you and you shouldn't want to. Nobody should have that much power over you or your life. Nobody. Dear Viv, as someone spending quarantine alone and going through a harsh breakup, how can I get over not repeating old habits? How can I use this time to heal and become a better person alone? For some of you, this is the most time that you've spent alone ever. And I think that one positive thing, as hard as that can be, that comes out of that is that we stop treating solitude like a death sentence. And... Solitary confinement is definitely a form of punishment. But being alone with your own thoughts in the comfort of your own home is something that people have been doing for centuries and centuries. I was recently reading Toni Morrison's book, Mercy. And in this novel, which takes place in the antebellum South, the women in the book spend a lot of time waiting on men, waiting for their husbands to come back from doing a task, waiting for somebody to come and marry them, waiting to get to another location. A lot of the book is just spent in the lull of waiting for something to happen. And it's a very popular trope in a lot of pre-20th century literature where people are waiting on a letter to come. I mean, people who are fully engaged, fully in a romantic relationship are just waiting on a letter from their lover, waiting for somebody to come home from war. As somebody who's waiting on a lot of things to happen, I can tell you that it's just so nice to be able to develop a personality in the meantime. The amount of patience that it takes, self-cultivation. I watch movies. I fix things around the house, I cook. I've developed a range of skills and talents and hobbies that come not from glorifying solitude to say, I'm going to be alone forever, I prefer to be alone, but just to say, I'm not being punished for being with myself. I met myself, she's amazing, I love her, and she's the best possible person to spend time with. I could be alone for a very long time sitting in complete silence and not run out of things to do or think about. And I think that it is expansiveness. It's the expansiveness of questions that you are allowed to ask yourself about what went wrong in your relationship, but it's also time to develop a life outside of other people altogether because relationships can be so eclipsing and so encompassing that even in the absence of them, all you think about is the relationship. But there are other facets of life and typically for people who go through harsh breakups, meaning that they went through hard relationships, you find in the time of solitude that there have been so many things that have gone unattended. There was times where I woke up one day single and realized there was things in my body that I had not acknowledged or where there was things, there were things in my to-do list, things that I had wanted to do creatively that I had put on the back burner, skills that I wanted to learn, things I wanted to know about myself, books I wanted to read. And it can be so nice to be in love. And then it can be so demanding to be in the throes of a breakup that you forget the amount of living that there is to be done. 
You know what you've been ignoring. You know what needs to be thought about, the things that need to be considered in your future. You know the things that need healing. It's that are you going to give this time over to the weight of things that you've lost? Are you going to give more of your life to this person in their absence? Or are you going to take your life and live it? Period. When people walk out of your life, let them take the fullness of themselves with them. I tell people, whatever you can be in my life, just tell me the truth. Just tell me the truth. Tell me that you'll be here and be here or tell me that you won't and leave. Don't tell me that you'll be here and leave and leave the space of that promise and disappointment or don't be here and not be present and have somebody taking up space in my extremely expensive apartment that seems to incur its expense by the minute. If I'm gonna be alone, I wanna be alone because I know that I am in good company. But you being alone and then still harping on somebody who's gone is not a productive or fruitful or gratifying or happy use of your time. I think that the acknowledgement of being alone is something that is very good for the soul. I think that having the ghost of other people in our house is one of the things that make us feel unnecessarily lonely in times like this because we think about all the people that could be here and they're not. You gotta stand on your own two feet and you gotta learn to love it by yourself and it won't be like this always, it won't. It won't be like this always. There's more than a few people listening to this, uh, more than a few women, I can already tell you, sis, that have kids and would wish, they wish, uh, more than a few people that have spouses, uh, more than a few people that have boyfriends, more than a few people that have girlfriends, that they've taken up extra domestic chores or having to split the house into an office slash gym slash church. And they're wishing right now that this was solitary confinement. I mean, it really is a grass is greener thing. And you got to just meet yourself where you're at. That's all the time that we have for today. I wish that I could tell you all that this was all excellent and good advice. But as I began this episode, this sermon, you all know what you, what you must do. You all know the decisions that must be made. And it's nice to have support. And it's nice to have lovers and family and friends and colleagues. It's nice to have people that can carry us through when we're weak. But right now you have to be strong. You have to be strong. It's not, it's not a time to make compromises on the visions that we have for ourselves because this is a time where the powerful are trying to disempower the less powerful. It's times where we are literally deeming who is essential and dispensable, deeming who is fit for the new world that's being built, who's healthy enough. It's when we're deciding who's worthy of being saved and redeemed and bailed out and who we can afford to leave aside. And that's all well and good because to be honest, the world is always making that decision. The world is always doing that bargain. It's a bargain as old as time. 
It's a war as old as who gets on the ark. But there's a different crossroads that we're each facing, each and every one of us, completely by ourselves. And only you can decide if you're worthy of a future better than the past that you're leaving behind. Or if you'll be stuck in a moment of reverence and nostalgia for a world that was at its tipping point anyway. I'm not asking you all to believe in destiny. Ramadan is coming up next week and this will be a time for cleansing and redemption and restoration for myself. I'm not asking you all to believe in God. It's not my faith that's going to get you through. And it's not my belief that things are ordered and everything that happens for a reason. It'll be your own. I can tell you that you could deserve better. I could tell you that tomorrow is still more important than yesterday. I can tell you that there's still new love and new hope and newness to be had. I can tell you that the things that have been taken away, they'll be restored. And the ones that are lost were not needed. And I can tell you that you're strong enough to make it through anything, but that's not going to be as impactful or powerful or necessary as you saying those things to yourself. I've been at so many crossroads in my young life that sometimes I think I welcome chaos. It's been the only thing that's ever really propelled me forward. Sometimes I wonder if I've normalized pain to a point where I can triumph it so quickly I shock even myself because I've realized that if you always get exactly what you want and everything goes your way, that you'll never become who you're supposed to be. And if nothing goes right and you never get your way and nothing ever changes, then you'll never be much at all. But if you find yourself in the middle of a crossroad where sometimes good things happen to bad people and, and sometimes bad things happen to good people, sometimes you bet it all and you lose your shirt, sometimes you bet it all and you win big. But I thank life at this time because I know the truth. I thank life because I don't have to live in the facade that anybody has a perfect world, that for everybody, everything goes right, and for beautiful people, life just bends to their whims. I don't have to fool myself to tell myself I have more control over the outcomes, over the outer world. I don't have to fool myself into saying that a vote is going to better the entirety of society. And I don't have to fool myself into saying that there's complete apathy and pointlessness in trying to change things around me. I'm standing at a crossroads and the best thing that I'm equipped with is the truth is that shit changes every single day. Tell me the truth. <laughs> Tell me the truth. Even if it's that tomorrow you won't love me anymore and that I'll be standing here by myself. Tell me the truth. Even if you say that this job is not guaranteed and that I might have to get laid off. Tell me the truth, even if you tell me that there's no bailout coming, that there's no rescue ship, that there's nobody that I can vote in that's going to make my life significantly better or different. Tell me the truth so I can find out what I need to do, so I can be who I need to be. Tell me that the prom and the graduation and the wedding is canceled so I can decide how I'm gonna celebrate. Tell me that the party is canceled, that there's nobody coming to dinner so I can make a place at my table for one. Just tell me the truth so I can stand at the crossroads with some kind of autonomy, some kind of will. Tell me the truth and God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I wish you wisdom and I wish you love. I'm Bianca Vivione and if you ever need anything at all, you can always, always, always ask Viv.
Yeah. 